0: Get 0% interest for 48 months on any replacement project right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Our experts complete the installation with no hassle or mess, leaving only perfect results. Schedule your free consultation now at PellaWI.com.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at The Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620.
2: Now filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker. Great to be with you here today, and we have an awful lot to talk about in the next couple of hours. I have the text line up and open, but the number is the same, the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and text line, 855-616-1620. Two things I want to start off with. I've been following Alex, giving us updates of what's happening on the Brooks trial, and there was an update not that long ago Um, brooks sovereign citizenship claims he filed an affidavit calling himself a sovereign citizen if you've watched youtube and have seen the sovereign citizen movement you understand just how comical that is as they have this i guess this idea that they have a separate judicial system and they're not held by the standards of the American judicial system, thus you're not allowed to charge them, you're not allowed to arrest them, they don't need to have themselves a driver's license, they don't need to talk to police. So there's a lot of confrontations where sometimes someone will be behind the wheel, they'll say, oh I'm a sovereign citizen, I don't have to uh, abide by your rules, and then essentially what happens is the police officer will smash their window and drag them out of a car because they just will not comply no matter what you do or say. Very unrealistic. Just par for the course for the insanity that we're seeing so far with this trial and I'm continuing to watch more and more of Alex Crow as he posts and right off the bat fireworks to start the morning he goes in there they dismiss a motion yesterday to hold the trial because of COVID then of course he objects to everything which is essentially him trying to slow down the court case and then they go back in earlier today and the jury gets there and they try to delay it even more he was kicked out of the courtroom today. He appeared in his jumpsuit. The judge said, no, you need a suit and tie. He interrupted the judge 10 times before being removed. Essentially, what we're at now is watching the jurors come in, get the instructions, opening statements. That's what you're trying to get through here today. And this is going on and will bring you breaking news as it happens. And Alex Crow, I'm sure, will continue to update the WTMJ newsroom. So you're not going to want to go anywhere. On the other side... There's a story from the journal that discusses a person, it's a journalist, that drove to Madison. In Madison, there is a display, Tlaib Akbar is his name, and he put together what looks like a trailer, and it gives you the experience of what it's like to be in solitary confinement. The journalist said, okay, I'll I'll play along, put on the dress, I guess, you know, the clothes that you'd wear in jail, then gets inside of the trailer. And while inside the trailer, of course, you're alone with your thoughts for an hour. And it said, okay, I'm convinced solitary confinement is torture. And they go on to discuss this sort of thing. And it's so interesting to see these two stories and these two different news events go on side by side. So you have Daryl Brooks facing trial. Odds are he's going to find himself in some very serious trouble, will probably never live outside of jail for the rest of his life for some heinous crimes that were committed. And then you have the other side of it, which is, well, we treat inmates too bad. And when they're in there, if they're in solitary confinement, it's torture. Essentially, that you're saying that, the, you know, it's, it's human rights are being stripped away if you're inside of solitary confinement for a day. And this should never happen. And these two things are going side by side. And i got to tell you, I have no sympathy for Dale Brooks. He could spend the rest of his life inside of solitary confinement, and I wouldn't lose a minute of sleep at night. The idea that certain people deserve sympathy when they end up in solitary confinement, I get that because sometimes there's people that don't belong in there. But then there's instances where people that do belong in there because they're danger to other people. They're danger to the guards. And who knows who else they're a danger to? And we don't have personal guards for individual people. I mean, you can't just hire one guard around the clock to watch Daryl Brooks to make sure he doesn't act up. It don't work that way. And then when the instance is there, you find that one of the only options for the safety of everyone is solitary confinement. It's a tool that doesn't have to be used, but when it needs to be used, it's necessary for the most part. And I gotta say, I'm convinced if Daryl Brooks spends the rest of his life in solitary confinement, no sweat off my back, no problems, don't care. So maybe you saw this story from JS Online, or maybe you read it in the paper this morning, whatever, and we're talking about solitary confinement. I'd love to hear from you. I have no sympathy for Daryl Brooks. Let him spend the rest of his life in solitary confinement and found guilty on all these counts, these heinous, heinous crimes that we saw and witnessed for ourselves, as a lot of it was caught on video. 855-616-1620 is the number, 855-616-1620. Again, uh, solitary confinement, and you can write the articles in the paper. I don't always agree with you, and I'm sure there's instances where it's abused, but I will tell you this, I think it's appropriately used a lot of times, and really, sometimes we have too much sympathy for people that do terrible, terrible, terrible things. We're going to take a break. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in on WTMJ. Welcome back to the Jeff Wagner Show, 620 WTMJ. Two interesting news articles. Of course, we're following the Daryl Brooks case, which is happening as we speak. Alex Crow is reporting from there. We've been getting some great updates from him. On the other side, I was reading this article. From JS Online this morning out of Madison, there was an exhibit, essentially lets you get the experience of what it's like to be in solitary confinement. The person, the reporter, spent an hour in there and said, I'm convinced after an hour I can tell you this is torture. There's a few things that I think mentally could be happening here. I think maybe you have a withdrawal period, just like any other drug. If you lose your phone, it has certain impulses to your brain of missing out, and a lot of people suffer from that. I think when you... Take yourself out of the real world. There's going to be a level of adjustment in that first hour might be not the best to try to gauge how you're going to feel about something long term. Not to say that solitary confinement will ever turn into something pleasant. That's not designed to be something pleasant. It's designed for the protection of you and other people. And it's designed for you to be solitary, meaning to get away from a situation that you need to get away from in a jail system because you don't have private security when you go to jail. And it don't really work like that. It's not designed to work like that. So if you're in there for an hour and you say, okay, I've changed my mind. I don't think that's enough time to actually understand if you would call it torture or not. I think it is important to point out that when you look at cases like Daryl Brooks, I have zero sympathy for him. And I would have zero sympathy if he spent most of his time in solitary confinement for the rest of his life, if found guilty. And I don't think many people here today would feel too much sympathy for a person like that, given the danger that he is, given all the evidence we have stacked against him, including eyewitness accounts. Maybe some people listening right here have eyewitness accounts based in this community. Let's go to Gianni, who's calling in. You can, too. 855 You're on WTMJ. Hello, Gianni.
3: Yes. uh, Good afternoon, Ryan. You're talking about the Dale Brooks case and uh, the, uh, you know, solitary confinement. Uh, You know, I I don't think it should go on forever, obviously, but um, let's keep in mind the historical paradigm. You go back 2,000 years, you go back 1,000 years, you go back 500 years. Um, People lived to be maybe age uh, 35, 40. They didn't know where their next meal was coming from. Maybe they didn't eat for three days. I think Daryl Brooks has got it really, really good, along with all the other prisoners. Um, they get three hots in a cot, they get health insurance, and they probably will live longer than you or me because of their, um, you know, their, their, their health care and their living conditions. So they do quite well. Um, again, the historical paradigm. You look back, you don't have to go back just 200 years. Go back to the Civil yeah. War. Let's, yeah, let's point out, this isn't...
2: This isn't a Turkish prison like Midnight Express, okay? I mean, I know that the oh, prison no. system here in the United States isn't the greatest, and I know that it's not a pleasant experience. And I know it's, it's a very miserable experience for pretty much anyone that goes in it. But on the flip side, when you have an individual like Brooks who is facing some very serious charges, then you don't look at it as good or bad. You look at it as deserved. <laughs> Well, he, I mean, he can't get – he he should not hurt other prisoners,
3: and he should not hurt himself, and he should not hurt the guards of all people. So if it means solitary fi- confinement, then if that's what it takes to prevent him from hurting others, then so be it. And move
2: Got on. Got it, Johnny. Thank you very much. You're right. and And that's the point of it. There's pros and cons. There is very – mental cons to the list of problems when it comes to solitary confinement over long periods of time. If it's the pro side and you're trying to figure out, okay, when is it effectively used? Sometimes you need to separate people in a prison. Sometimes you need to separate individuals because they are a danger to other people or that guards or in some cases themselves, whatever it may be. That's why this exists. It's not there for the pleasure of the guards to enjoy throwing someone in. It's not like a psychological trick that you're trying to play on them. But in a lot of ways, it's the last resort. And if it's used that way, it's effective. If it's not used that way, it's abusive. Sure, I don't care which way it's used against Brooks. I've got to tell you the truth on this. I'm going to read some of your text messages and your calls. Continue. 855-616-1620. I'd love to hear from you. We're talking about solitary confinement, getting an update from the Daryl Brooks case, too. Uh, We're going to have to check in with our reporter, Alex Crow. I understand that we might be able to get an update from him as he's continuing to cover that case, too. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner on 620 WTMJ. Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner. You can find me online. Well, I got a website now. Uh, I got all my socials linked there, ryanrecker.com. Two stories we're watching and we're planning on connecting with Alex Crow, who is reporting from the Brooks trial after the 1230 news. So I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully we'll get him in about 10 minutes from now. Also coupling up with the idea of solitary confinement. There was a story this morning, JS online, and if you read that online or maybe you read it in the paper this morning, it doesn't matter. But same story. There's a box truck that was set up outside of Madison. A reporter drove out there. It was a replica of a prison cell, much like solitary confinement. He experienced it for an hour. It changed his mind. He said he's now confident that this is torture. I'm not so confident for it, mostly because I couple this up with the news of what's going on in the trial today with the Brooks trial, Daryl Brooks. And I think to myself, whatever happens to him, solitary confinement or not, torture or not. I mean, it, depending on how you look at it, I don't necessarily look at it that way. I guess it could be abused to be torture, but spending an hour in a room or a day in a room doesn't sound like torture. All I look at is I have no sympathy for him. There's going to be effective uses for this thing. I'm not going to lose any sleep if someone like a Brooks ends up in solitary confinement. So why, why should I care? Why, you know, why should I care if he ends up there? I shouldn't. I mean, it's the, the amount of heinous crimes that he committed that were witnessed by people of this audience. To me, determine that's enough. That's all I need to know. I'm not going to lose sleep over this. But you may be different, and we want you to call in. 855 6161 620 is the number. Lamar is calling in. Hello, Lamar. Hey,
4: thanks for taking my call. So I worked in prison for a year, and, you know, again, this guy, Brooks, is going to get what he deserves. I, I, I'm with you, and, you know, he's earned his, his due punishment. <clears throat> but in my experience, uh, solitary confinement w- was not j- just used for these violent individuals. If I were to, if I were to, you know, just guess from my experience, out of every ten guys that were sent, one was violent, and the other nine irritated the, the staff. If you were a nuisance and you were having like minor, minor rule violations, like you wouldn't pull your, put your, you know, show your name tag or stuff like that, and they could repeatedly have to tell you to do that. And it's not violent. They would send you there, and mm-hmm. prison is already bad. and I hate that people make it seem as if it's a country club because it's not, because you're literally away from the, the, the rest of the world. But that it is excessive. At the, Thirty days for not wearing your ID back, and it's not uncommon. Talk to some of these guys that working here, that working that they'll tell you this. It, and that's you get. And I know you know the Khalid Broder story. There's more of him that are in solitary confinement that are just a nuisance to the guards versus. These, these type of guys. And again, if right. it were used for just those type of guys, I would have a different opinion about it. But the fact that it's used, the majority of the guys that go, it's minor rule violations. And, and like I said, 30 days is excessive.
2: I get you know, it. Well, opinion, can I ask you anything, some questions you in generality? Yeah. Just so you know, nothing specific, yeah. but just general questions. Mm-hmm. Let's say there yeah. was a name tag violation. How long would a person spend in solitary confinement for a violation like that?
4: First time you might get a week, you get, a, you get out, same violation, they might give you two weeks, then a month, and, and it just builds up for minor stuff. I don't mm-hmm. think minor stuff should get, you should get sent there for minor at all. It's like, it's like driving above the speed limit, getting maybe 10 miles an hour. The first time you get a ticket, the second time they send you to jail, and then the third time, they, you know, they send you to prison. You know, that's kind of mm-hmm. how they treat it. It it's, should never be used for, for, in my opinion, for nonviolent stuff. But that's how they use it. If you're a nuisance, if they don't like you, because it's your, your convicted felon versus the guard, it's your word versus theirs, you, the, the, the prison will lose every time. right? And that, that's well, my biggest I, issue with
2: it. I have some more. So a week seems very uh, excessive for rule violations. Is there an appeal process? Like, is there something internally that there's an oversight into the instances where that's used to make sure it's not violated?
4: So there is, but here's the problem. Again, you're a convicted felon. You have to have a, a leadership that is diligent about you know, upholding your rights. And to the state of Wisconsin's uh, credit, they do try to do, because I work for the state of Wisconsin, they do try to do a better job of listening to, but again, these are convicted felons. Nobody cares. The, the mm-hmm. response from the general public and the rule makers is like, you know, if you don't want to, you shouldn't. If you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. And I think that's a, that's a blanket statement that shouldn't be applied.
2: I got it. Okay, thank you very much. Great insight, Lamar. I appreciate the call. Uh, we're going to take a break and look at your news, and we're planning on checking in with Alex Crow, who's reporting from the case. We'll get the latest of, man, all of the theatrics and what's happened already this morning, much like yesterday. You saw a lot go down, and you thought to yourself, wow, this is a circus. Well, it looks like this is day two of the circus, with the Daryl Brooks case. We'll check in with him coming up in just a few minutes. Welcome back to WTMJ. I'm Brian Recker filling in. We're going to connect with Alex here in a moment and get the latest from the courtroom and what's happening as we get close to those opening statements. And wow, the theatrics from this morning. I just want to read a couple of text messages before we go to the phone lines. Uh, Text message. Okay, let's see. Um, Okay, Basically, what I'm seeing so far is... Some people defending solitary, some people not defending it, some people unhappy about it, some people saying if it was you, you wouldn't want to be in there. No, I get that, but I also understand that if it was me that committed heinous crimes, then I also understand there wouldn't be a lot of sympathy for someone like me that would be in there. I do understand that sometimes these instances are abused. I get that. There's not a great way to punish someone that's in prison because the ultimate punishment is that they're already in prison. So what do you do when they don't uh, comply with orders over and over and over again? And then what do you do when they act out against another person? When is the right instance to separate them? Some people are even messaging and saying that sovereign citizenship is also known as Proud Boys, QAnon, other organizations that want to defy the government. I don't know the two have ever been connected. Honestly, that's the first time I've ever heard that those things are together, as in Proud Boys and QAnon, some of these extremist groups that are out there, would also call themselves sovereign citizens and try to act under a different set of laws. Going back to the affidavit that was filed, not to make light of this, but if I wanted to say one nice thing, I'm looking at a scan of the affidavit uh, filed yesterday and then was put into the court system, scanned today. Daryl Brooks uh, allegedly wrote this. So you have the affidavit of him talking about being a sovereign citizen, i got to give him a compliment. His handwriting is fantastic. They must not give him a computer. They must allow him to represent himself in a way that doesn't give him technology. So he, they didn't give him a typewriter. They allowed him pen and paper, and he wrote that whole thing out. That's a little impressive, i got to say. All right, looks like we have Alex Crow on the line, who is reporting from the courthouse and has been there this morning. Hello, Alex. Hey,
1: Ryan. How you doing?
2: Good. I appreciate the, the time here. So I was reading your Twitter feed, and by the way, anyone that's listening right now needs to go and follow Alex Crow right now because he is giving some fantastic updates at Alex Crow 38 on Twitter. But watching everything that happened this morning, it seems like right off the bat, given what we saw yesterday with the trial, the disruptions, it just started right at the very beginning of today. It sounds like it's been like that throughout the morning.
1: Yeah, there was a different element to today than there was the past few days. Obviously, there were disruptions the past few days, but as Judge Dorrell noted, they weren't uh, aggressive interruptions. It was more of he would continually interrupt her. She got up to like 10 times yesterday before finally sending him over into another courtroom. Today, it was very different. Uh, there was an aggression right from the start, and when she ended up sending Daryl Brooks into the other courtroom, We all get sent out of the courtroom, media members of the public. We were out there for a while. When we got back in, he was seen on the Zoom from the other courtroom with his shirt off, and uh, the judge had noted from the bailiffs that uh, they had some trouble. There was a physical struggle trying to get him into the other courtroom. He then said that he had cut his finger and had a bruise on his arm, and he wanted the proceedings delayed until he could be seen by a medic. Uh, He will be seen by that medic during this one-hour break for lunch, but... All assumptions are that he'll be fine and uh, he'll, he'll be back for the next proceedings.
2: Yeah, and it seems like a lot of delay tactics. Then I saw the affidavit you retweeted this morning, roughly saying that he calls himself a sovereign citizen, so he's not known by this name, thus he can't be charged. Uh, it, it just seems like a lot of delay tactics is the strategy right now. It makes me wonder how much the court could put up with before they say he's not competent to defend himself and they're going to have to bring someone else in.
5: Yeah,
1: that is, uh, that is certainly a question. The judge has cited a few uh, prior court rulings, one of them being Illinois v. Allen, and that is one where uh, the court basically is allowed to restrain someone if they're being so obstructive that the court cannot continue. She said that because of the use of technology, uh, she would just said rather send him into the other courtroom and have him essentially virtually gag. She can mute him whenever she wants. The court proceedings can continue. He has deputies in that separate courtroom with him. I will say that she does invite him to come back, or at least she has, every single time so far. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out now when we get back from lunch, because the jury is already seated. She has to read through all of the nearly 80 counts and, you know, say that this one uh, applies to this statute. It takes a long time, but we are going to get into opening statements after lunch at some point here, and it'll be interesting to see whether or not he is actually in the courtroom for those uh, opening statements.
2: Alex Crowe joining us here from the WTMJ Newsroom, but reporting live on this Brooks case. Just in general, uh, the, the human nature of this, I was reading the updates on Twitter, and when the charges were being read out loud, of course you have specific names of victims read during those charges, which meant that there were certain people inside of the courtroom that got emotional because they heard a loved one or a friend's name. Uh, what was that like to witness moments like that?
1: Um, it, was, it was interesting because, obviously, members of the jury were trying to listen very intently at that point. It was the very beginning of the 72 charges being read, the first-degree intentional homicide charges being the most serious. There was a noticeable reaction when Jackson Sparks' name was read. He was obviously the child who was killed in the Waukesha parade incident. And uh, there were members of the, the public who were seen wiping their eyes and some other ones who were rubbing each other's backs, providing support. I expect to see more of that as we get into opening statements, because like we discussed this morning on Wisconsin's Morning News, this is going to have to be really heavy on the part of the prosecution. Daryl Brooks, for better or worse, has been the headline so far. And uh, the prosecution is going to have to do a really good job of drawing this back in and, and reminding the jury of why everyone is here.
2: Right. And it sounds like the judge is going to probably spend a considerable amount of time instructing the jury based on, you know, the decor of how an actual trial is conducted. It seems like with all the different interruptions that she would have to address the jury. Okay, this is why we have to do it this way to try to keep them informed. And I'm guessing that's already happened.
1: Yes, so she has said basically that just he's appearing in another room. She hasn't said why. They have not seen an outburst in person yet, so we'll see if that happens, if she invites him in this afternoon after lunch. She also requested that Daryl Brooks change out of his jail attire. If anyone's watching on court TV, they can see he's in his orange jumpsuit, and she specifically asked him to change, and he refused to do so. So he may change here before coming out and giving opening statements, or he might give opening statements representing himself in his jumpsuit from another courtroom. I'm not sure that's anything that we've seen before, but a lot of that is going to play out over, uh, over the next few hours here.
2: Right. Uh, Alex Crow 38 on Twitter. If you wanted to follow some of the different tweets and as you're reporting those from the uh, courtroom, thank you for keeping us all informed. Thank you for spending some time with us here today too.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me on Ryan.
2: We'll continue to watch that. And of course, uh, Keep an ear out for WTMJ News. Melissa Barclay will be bringing the latest on that, too, and reporting from uh, uh, how Alex reports from the courtroom. Uh, We're going to take a break. We're going to take some more of your calls after the break, too. So if you're on the line, hold on. And I haven't even read a portion of the text messages. There's just so many of them that are coming in right now. Continue to text in. Continue to call. 855-616-1620 is the number. 855-616-1620. We'll be right back. 620 WTMJ. We're going to take some more of your calls and messages here on WTMJ. If you want to reach the show, very easy. Same phone number, 855-616-1620. I'm Ryan Recker filling in. A couple of text messages. Uh, I find it very hard to believe I am stunned by the fact that he shows zero remorse, so I can't fathom how anyone could find an ounce of empathy for him. Another text message that came in. I'm sure any of the victims would gladly switch places with him. I don't know what that text message means. Um, Maybe I'm misinterpreting it. One person said, solitary is torture. It only makes the issues the prisoner exhibits worse. That is one of, uh, that's a very strong argument. I get that. When I couple it up against a Daryl Brooks, I completely ignore that argument. Uh, Here's another one said, this guy sounds uh, not like a guard. No, I, I do believe that he was honest, the way he was discussing and describing of what happens on the inside. Not to say that it's a perfect system, but I think the system is there for when you need it. And it should be a last resort, not necessarily an enforcement rule if you're not showing a name badge. But I don't know how many times you need to be reminded of something when you're purposely disobeying a guard. Uh, before there's some sort of punishment involved. Maybe that's not solitary, but still, in the week, even sees excessive. Uh, sitting an hour is torture. This guy has no clue. Okay, that's regarding to the person that wrote the article. Let's take some more of your calls. And Jonathan, if holding the line, welcome to WTMJ. Hello.
6: Oh, thanks. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I, I'm absolutely for solitary confinement. If, in fact, the conditions, you know, it's triggered, uh, and um, if the person satisfies the criteria for going into solitary. The question with Brooks, though, which I haven't heard anybody discuss yet, is whether or not he really is mentally ill and whether or not you can put a mentally ill person in a situation like that. And I haven't yeah, heard that's any a good of point. that yet. And the, all, I would, the, I would point things, out— That cuts against
2: it. That cuts against yeah, it. Yeah. Let me point out that if he is representing himself and is competent enough to represent himself, then wouldn't that undermine the argument— that he is mentally ill and wouldn't be able to go into solitary? I don't know.
6: Yeah. I mean, potentially now his mother, I don't know if you read this in the journal a couple days ago, uh, the mother said that for years and years and years and years, he has had mental problems. So, and he's never been, you know, they just kind of, he dropped through the cracks and so on and so forth. So the question then becomes, if he really is mentally ill, you know, maybe, maybe not, but let's assume, argue under that he is, then the question becomes, do you put a mentally ill person in solitary confinement? And I don't know the answer to that.
2: Yeah, I don't know either. But I think if you were to go to a facility that is designed to house mentally ill people that are criminals, uh, I'm guessing you don't find solitary. I wonder if they still have the old padded room. Like that's Maybe more of like an old school thing, but it makes me wonder if what's the alternative in these special facilities. But either way, think about it. If if let's say you are mentally ill and you're in a a special facility, you may have committed a crime and not really understand the gravity of that crime you committed. Then walks in Derek or or Daryl Brooks, excuse me. What are the odds that he's going to be a danger to other people, or what are the odds that he is going to somehow hurt another human being while on the inside? So. What, what do you do in a situation like that? Do you separate completely yeah. just under the idea that it could happen again? Do you wait for an instance or some sort of uh, evidence that that could happen? Or do you just do nothing at all? Because if you do nothing at all, I think that really makes things more dangerous for everyone, including the guards. I, so, agree, with I, I agree with you. Okay, thank, yep. thank, thank you very you. much for the call. I appreciate that. Uh, here's the phone number, 855-616-1620. I'm going to read some more text messages coming up after the break. I'm Ryan Recker filling in. WTMJ. There was one text message that came in that I think is a good question. Why is the media giving Mr. Brooks so much airtime? And I've seen that text message come in in a couple of different ways. And it's a good question. Sometimes when there's a heinous act that's committed, a terrorist act, or sometimes you see a person, school shootings are a good example of this, where they don't and they are hesitant to name the person because sometimes in the mind of that young individual, This is an opportunity for them to make a name for themselves, go down in history as an infamous criminal, um, you know, in their own warped mind. They kind of look at that as a byproduct of the actions that they are committing. So media and organizations will sometimes go out of their way to not name the person immediately. But obviously... In a world where a crime is committed, then the name is out there because you put press releases out, you cover it as a news story. If it's a local community story like this one is a local community story, it's impossible to not cover it. With Court TV and some of these other agencies monitoring and watching this, it's a national event. A lot of people want to know what's going to happen to Brooks throughout this case. And I think on top of it, the theatrics of, oh, I'm going to claim sovereign citizenship, or I'm going to hold up the objection sign forever, or I'm going to rip my shirt off, or I'm going to refuse to wear proper court attire. uh, and, And then they go back, and all of this is adding to it, and I can understand the hesitation to give him airtime, because it sounds like you're just giving him what he wants, but is this going to taint the jury? No. I mean, there's extreme lengths that go through in these really large court cases to make sure the jury is completely separate from these theatrics. And the jury is completely separated from the commentary Or the radio shows like this one. So they don't listen to the opinions that other people have and are swayed that way. And that is the job of the courts to make sure that when they go in there and look at a case like this, they are unbiased to it all. And that is a very important key. You don't want someone going in with a bias. You don't want someone going in and saying, well, I know about this story and he's guilty before I even listen to the arguments. But I got to tell you, just from what we're seeing on the outside and what Alex Crow is reporting from the courtroom... It sounds like both both the prosecution and the self-defense are both playing into the prosecution's favor, because when you act a certain way, there's going to be an exposure to the jury. If he's acting this way now, even though the jury seems to be completely separate from the theatrics or not being able to watch it because he's been removed from the courtroom, it's going to leak over when you're calling witnesses, when you're cross-examining, when you are looking at evidence, questioning evidence, maybe even your opening remarks. When you open your mouth and the jury gets to hear from you, that is going to play against your favor when you're a Brooks, and he's acting this way already. Um, So here's a couple of more text messages. I want to make sure I get to these. Uh, I don't care for the mental illness argument. He is mentally ill. The same person doesn't drive a car into a crowd. Yes, yes, yes. All right, uh, here's a text message. He deserves to be in solitary confinement with nothing but... Okay, I'm not going to read the rest of that. Uh, Text message... Uh, Okay, so some people are saying, and there was one text message from the start of all of this in the beginning of the hour. Basically, I'll, I'll try to reiterate, but this is basically a campaign slogan at this point. As in, this is what happens when you have democratic cities run by democratic prosecutors who decide that it is more just to not charge someone for a crime. And then you find instances like this happening when a person that should have been held wasn't, or a person that should have been prosecuted, wasn't, or given the attention that they should have, based on the prosecution dropping the ball or making a conscious decision to allow personnel. And yes, sure, that could be used as an example of why you don't want this to happen, because we do want to have safe communities, and we do want to find ourselves in a way where we are separated from violent criminals. We don't want to have to be the ones that feel the wrath of a violent person and a violent criminal. Because a prosecutor or or someone that's inside of the DA's office or circuit attorney's office, whatever, depending on where you are, makes that decision on your behalf that you're just going to have to deal with it because it's more humane to allow a person out that's violent. And we shouldn't have to be the ones to take the brunt of that decision. And we don't want to be the ones. And this should be another example of it. Because people do bad things. And it happens more often than we want In fact, I don't think there's ever a time where we've looked at a bad thing and said, okay, this is the right time for it. All right, so thanks for all the text messages. Thanks for all the calls. Uh, When we come back after the news, I saw another story from Fox 6 regarding being burned by used vehicle meaning that you bought a used vehicle because you're desperate and there's not a lot of options and you got yourself a lemon i want to talk about that because if you've had a bad experience buying a used car you're going to want to hear this and i want to hear your story coming up after the news i'm ryan wrecker filling in for jeff wagner on wtmj
1: live from the annex wealth management studios at the avenue it's the jeff wagner show now filling in for jeff wagner here's
2: your host ryan wrecker Following the courtroom drama that is happening is Alex Crow. So we checked in with him last hour. He put an update on Twitter just a couple of minutes ago, said getting ready to head back into Judge Jennifer Darrow's courtroom. It'll be interesting to see if Daryl Brooks appears in person for the afternoon session. He was kicked out and allegedly threatened to throw items at deputies in the morning session. Not a great way to start your trial, And as one person mentioned before, uh, maybe we're talking too much about him, but sure, I thought it was uh, timely, but let's do this. We're going to move on to something different, and if you want any breaking news on that, we will bring it to you. So if there's anything else that goes on, as we continue to monitor that with a reporter there on the scene. Has anyone bought a vehicle in the last couple of months? Have you bought a used vehicle in particular? A lot of times when you buy a vehicle, you think, well, it's more effective for my budget to buy a used vehicle but then a lot of people are also confronted with the reality of this chip shortage and they find out that it may be well worth your while to purchase a new vehicle considering ones that are just a couple of years old sell for nearly the same amounts you might get a little more features if you buy a used vehicle but still if you can find a new vehicle That has been something that uh, people are like, okay, what do I do next? Where do I go? What am I supposed to do? And now they rush into it because they think the scarcity of the used car market is one of which, if I don't buy it, someone else will. Then you get yourself in trouble. Has anyone purchased a used vehicle and now you regret it? Tell me your story. 855-616-1620. I'm in the market. I need to buy a second vehicle sometime. I've been holding off. For a long time, I've been holding off, and I need that new vehicle or a used one, and I hear stories like Fox 6's report, and it scares me. So if you bought a used vehicle recently, give me a call. Uh, Has it worked out for you? Or are you part of the Buyer's Remorse Club of buying a used car? 855-616-1620. This is from the Fox 6 report. Let's play clip number one.
7: In today's competitive buying market,
2: more and more people are buying whatever they can.
7: At Eddie's service, owner Paul Krauska says some buyers are overlooking what they think are minor problems, but are actually red flags.
5: They say, oh, I'll just take it because they know that the dealer will probably sell that car to someone else very quickly.
7: The used auto market is tight because of low supply.
2: The woman in the article, the one that was in the Fox Six report, there driving a Saturn, and I thought, well, there's there's your uh, tip number one. If you go to a dealership and buy a Saturn, there might be a little bit of desperation there. Well, not n- historically known as the best vehicles ever, but if I'm buying a used vehicle. I am someone that does a lot of my own repairs, so there's certain things I look for in a vehicle because I've done repairs before, and I kind of have an idea what to look for. Okay, is this accessible? How hard is it to get to these parts? Does this look new? Does this look old? Does this look rusted? Let's look underneath it? Does anything look out of place? For the most part, I'm going to find myself driving what I describe as an Uncle Buck car, like in that movie Uncle Buck where he shows up and he's got the old, it it looks like a tank, and when he parks the old Buick, the thing backfires and everyone hits the deck. fit right in so (laughs) with all the crime in these major cities but i'll I'll park this thing and that's the type of vehicle i'm planning on buying because i realized the risk of buying a used vehicle and having to sink a ton of money into it because of all the hidden problems in it right now are so high i might as well go for the guarantee of an old vehicle that's been on the road forever and just ride that thing out until the chip shortage comes back one person texted in, just purchased a Forerunner, Great vehicle, runs great, and I love it. I regret it because I overpaid and really do not need a new car, just wanted something bigger. Yeah, those 4Runners are pretty nice. I, I look at it, and there's certain brands that seem to hold up better than others. But have you bought a vehicle recently, and now you have buyer's remorse? 855-616-1620. Uh, let's play that Fox 6 Report clip number two.
7: Amber Kent and Gregory Noel are among those who wrote to Contact Six with buyer's remorse.
0: We're just like, this is ridiculous. We need to get rid of this thing. I felt like I was entitled to something.
7: They're not alone. Complaints to Wisconsin Consumer Protection about used car sales were up 23% last year, but are slowing in 2022.
2: Okay, so they're saying, okay, look at this. Used car sales problems and people reporting their issues with used cars, not necessarily lemon laws because they don't necessarily apply, but they say in the start of 2020, they received about 372 complaints on used car purchases. And so far this year, they're trending down. There's been about a hundred consumer complaints about used auto sales. I'm just going to throw this out there. That number seems low. And it seems like if we were to open up the phones and talk to people that have bought used cars, have you found problems that were unexpected with your used car? Because if you're talking 100, that is so minuscule. i got to imagine there's many more problems out there. And I want you to tell us any problems that you've had. 855-616-1620. I'd like to hear from you. I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Looking at the used car market, it scares a lot of people, including myself. And I'm someone that has done a lot of my own car repairs. But in today's world, you get a 2022, there's so many electronic parts on these things. Like, I could keep up. Like, I'm ever going to be able to diagnose a computer issue on side of a car. So you buy a used vehicle, and then a couple of weeks later, check engine light pops on. Yikes. So that scares me, because now you're going to overpay for a vehicle that you're going to have to put more repairs in, and you're doing it out of desperation, because there's not as many options out there. That's what many people are finding themselves into that problem. Have you run into a car issue the last couple of months? Tell me your story, 855-616-1620. So many people have what they call buying remorse in the used car market. Let's go to Gene, who's holding on. Welcome to WTMJ.
7: Hello, I am cringing. I bought my vehicle a, little f- a few longer than a few months. Mm-hmm. I knew it was in an accident. On the sticker, it sh- it said that they did some welding. Looked at the vehicle, it was fine. Since huh. then, I've had two transmissions. <laughs> I took it back to the people and they told me, "Well, it was in an accident and the person that put the new transmission in, jammed the uh, front thing, I can't think right now, in so hard. It took them a day to pull it out. I'm sure that made more damage to the transmission. Then I'm up in Fremont, Wisconsin, enjoying myself fishing. My vehicle would not go into drive. I had to be towed from Fremont back here. From June Uh until the end of August, the transmission company had my vehicle. Four times (sighs) they told me, oh, come on, pick it up, it's ready, and it wasn't.
2: Oh, man, what year is this vehicle? Pardon? What year was this vehicle made? Oh
7: five, two thousand five. 2005.
2: All right, how many miles on this thing?
7: Hundred and
2: sixty thousand now. You see, okay. So when you go one hundred and sixty, you're prone to find that yeah, transmissions could start to go. But to have two of them go out is not It seems like you may have yeah. been taken advantage of. But how getting in a wreck affect the transmission so much that? Man, I don't know. You're talking about this part at the start of the transmission. I don't know. Maybe if it was installed incorrectly yeah. or maybe the frame was busted that it couldn't fit in properly, something which, it, I don't know, maybe ground something up in the transmission. I have no idea. Maybe that compounded maybe the issues. More. But uh, yes, All right. So from now on, me, you're only I'm buying not... new vehicles, right? <laughs> no. I'm going to nope. do my
7: homework even more than I did before.
2: Yeah, you're going to drop that transmission, and you're going to look at it in person next time, Gene. Thank you very much for the call. (laughs) She's like, we're dropping this transmission. I'm getting a firsthand look at this before I buy. I wouldn't blame you if you did that. Uh, Jerry is holding on. Welcome to WTMJ. Hello.
8: Thank you so much. Um, I just thought I'd give you a quick perspective from both sides. I'm a consumer, but I retired out of the car business after 40 years. And I can tell you that um, the perception to the public, of course, about used cars is always that, you know, somebody's going to get taken. But um, that's not really the truth. I mean, you know, just like any other business, there's scrupulous dealers and there's some unscrupulous dealers. But I can tell you with Wisconsin State Disclosure that's on everybody's uh, window when you buy a car, they ha- you have to understand these are visual inspections. They're not, they don't get invasive inside of a transmission or a motor or anything like that they're visual inspections like brakes and tires and anything they see like leaking so those things have to be disclosed or repaired and uh some dealers will patch it up and just set it down the road and uh you know hope for the best and other dealers scrupulous ones will do the repairs but let me, um, also, just happy. out of
2: curiosity, uh, because it sounds like you may know the law, uh, or at least the regulations, do you need to be a certified technician or a certified mechanic in order to look the car over, or can just anyone do that?
8: No, you don't need to be certified. As a matter of fact, some of the quarter lots obviously don't have certified mechanics. The uh, Anybody Can actually sign off as a sales or a service representative on the bottom of that disclosure and say, I've inspected this vehicle.
2: See, that's scary because in today's job market where they're like struggling to find people, I got to imagine some of these areas don't really have high standards for that job.
8: No, not at all. Not at all. So, from a standpoint of uh, the consumer, if you get a real good, scrupulous dealer, and just like if you walked into a doctor's office and you have a checkup, and you had an EKG, and a week later you have a massive heart attack. You know, nobody knows. Nobody knows what's invasive inside of you, other than they do a a visual or a, you know inspection on you like a car. So, mm-hmm. my point is this: a good dealership will help you out with a repair. They just will. There'll, there'll be some participation on both parts.
2: Sounds good. Thank so you very much for the call, Jerry. Uh, appreciate that. Good insight. discussing that Fox 6 report seems that some people are getting burned and they say they have buyer's remorse. Do you have a story you'd like to share? 855-616-1620. Maybe you have bought a used vehicle for more money than it needed to be. I'm sure you overspent on it and now you're looking at it and saying, what in the world is going on here? feel like you paid a premium, but in reality, you paid market price, but you didn't get that premium feel. We'll take some more of your calls coming up after the break. I'll read some of your text messages here on WTMJ. Welcome back to WTMJ. I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Jeff Wagner. The phone number is 855-616-1620. We'd like to hear from you, text message you. One person said, oh, I've had the opposite when it comes to used cars from the Mechanic. For 40-plus years, I've always bought a vehicle about 100,000 miles, and they last 250 to 450. said, obviously, there's things that they need to fix, but engine and transmission, not one of them. One person texted us a photo of their 2003 Chevy Silverado at 364,000 miles. Wow, that's great. You probably get about 12 miles to the gallon on that thing, but still, at least you're not uh, having to replace a transmission on that a couple of times a year. Uh, here's one person said, I'm Amy, bought a car on Facebook Marketplace, and it was awesome. It just got totaled very sad. Oh, that's a bummer. one person said, you have to use Carfax anytime you buy a used car. Yes, I get all of these things. 100% true. You have to make sure you do your homework and maybe not get your heart set on something until all the different things are checked out. Have to get the Carfax. Yeah, so many people are saying that. Oh, no, the Chevy Silverado, 17 miles per gallon. Actually, I feel like that is pretty good for for that one, for the Chevy. Not bad. Yeah, those Silverados, those old ones, were great vehicles, very good vehicles. Now, I need to go back. There's one vehicle I've always wanted to own. It was a 2000 Jeep Cherokee. You know, the real boxy old Jeeps. Those things last forever, too. Very well-built Jeeps. But the problem is, you go and look at them, they're a 22-year vehicle. Like, they've been out of the market for that long. But it's even if you look at some 20-plus years old, you're still looking at, like, five to ten grand and you're like man again that thing has i'm sure a cassette tape player in that if you're lucky a cd player because not all the cars had cd players back then some of them you had to put aftermarket cd players on when you're talking about late 90s one person said i drive a 2005 pontiac vibe bought it new have 263,000 miles on it get 35 miles a gallon whoa are you sure that meter is working properly Thirty-five a gallon, man. I want in on that. All right, I, you know, I had a Envoy, two thousand three, uh, GMC Envoy, and the thing was treating me all that well. Then I got past one ninety, and I thought, oh, I'm going to round the bases to two hundred thousand miles. That thing would not stay healthy, and I ended up selling it back to I forgot what one of those services that buy your vehicles, but. Title Max or, I don't know, not Title Max, but Car Max or some one of them. But either way, I had them check it out, and I told them, hey, this thing keeps busting out, and I can't figure out how to fix it. And I couldn't. I was ready to drive that thing into the sunset, but, man, the thing was busting every couple of weeks. Same problem. Couldn't get it fixed right, and I was spending so much money on repairs. It just had a lifespan on it, and people told me that thing could last forever type of engine it had sometimes you get lucky sometimes you don't oh 2007 fj cruiser lasted until two years ago 297,000 miles wow are you trying to make me jealous all these people texting in with vehicles that last forever man if you're trying to make me jealous it's working oh is it working right now but eventually i'm gonna have to go buy a car i feel like maybe the best option is going to be for me to buy a car privately as in someone else is selling it on one of these forums and then just buying an aftermarket warranty on it. That may be the best, smartest thing to do, and just hopes that that'll be your insurance. You might have to spend a little bit less on it, but then you spend up probably spending the same amount of money to get that aftermarket warranty on it. But man, it seems like that'll probably help mitigate some of the different problems we have. One person messaged in and said, don't buy in Wisconsin, and there's a reason for it. I'm seeing if I can scroll back. But essentially saying the way the laws are, you can't buy directly from a de- from a manufacturer. You have to go through a dealer, and the dealers are jacking the prices up right now. Some places do that. Some don't. I found that even here. See, I'm living in St. Louis right now, and I've noticed that some dealers put on a service charge towards the end, and some don't. So you have to shop around and find ones that don't do that. At least here, you can buy a car directly and just have it delivered to a dealer. You can just pay it through the manufacturer, whatever it is, and then just go pick it up. I think Tesla was one of the very early car companies that experimented with that, mostly because they didn't have dealerships. And then eventually they challenged that, and then they realized, okay, I guess we have to have at least one dealership in the state somewhere if we're going to have that sort of business model to try to get around the laws. Uh, Michelle is calling in. Welcome to WTMJ. Hello, Michelle.
9: Hi, Ryan. Thanks for taking my call, and I really enjoy listening when you sub. They should just give you a permanent job. But anyway... I drive uh, my mom, who is pretty well to do. She every three years would change cars and she always stuck with Toyotas. And so we um, reached the benefits of getting where well, she'd sell us her car for like $4,000, you know, it was like practically uh-huh. giving it to you. And so I got her um, Toyota Avalon XLE, which is now like 20 years old and has, and my next oil change will be. 300,000 miles on it and um, I take really good care of it and because it had, it was like in its infancy was a a really top of the line. It has heated seats and air and um, a CD player which the CD player doesn't work anymore but you can't really buy CDs. But um, I'm (laughs) I'm hearing all these horror stories about um, about getting a new car or a used car and oh my gosh I'm just hoping it lasts for a little bit longer and then I'm going to have to depend on one of my male friends or my brothers or something to help me pick out a new car but they all said yeah go go Toyota.
2: I see when you said male friends I thought you were alluding to like a sugar daddy situation where like you have to be buddy buddy. (laughs)
9: Yeah. Well if you know of any I'll go I'll I'll swing that way too. But no, no, I'm one of my M A L E acquaintances. They're they're actually they're not sugar daddies, most of them are gay but they're but they're really helpful in all the walks of life that I need. So
2: Okay. All right. So if anyone listening here is a sugar daddy and you wanna be connected to Michelle, let me know and then I'll be in line after her. Because I could also (laughs) use some help right now. Thank you very much for the call. Yeah, can't we all? Don't we all just need a sugar daddy in life? 855-616-1620. And all these people texting in. I know you're trying to make me jealous. And it's working. Oh, here's my 2008 Dodge with 598,000 miles on it. I have an 03 Chevy Cavalier, 525,000 miles on it. I have an 02 Chevy Avalanche, 315,000 miles. Jeff texted in, uh, don't get Kia or Hyundai. I'm very familiar with the issues, and that's been reported in the news when it comes to the ones that were made before this year's models, how easy it is to pop the bottom little access panel off if just not using the touch button start if you actually have the physical key how e- easy it is to get jacked right now that is scary i know they're still trying to deal with that in all the major cities right now and what do you call them the kia boys i've seen that on the different threads there too all right enough with making me jealous uh, all these people with sugar daddies or transmissions that last more than five hundred thousand miles it's over you won 855-616-1620 when we come back from the break I wanted to read this one report from an organization that I haven't really heard of, but it's actually I really like the idea of this. It's a project on government oversight, and they looked into all the different flagged applications that came in for the PPP loans, and what happened to them after they were flagged. It really surprised me, and how does that play into the latest student loan problem we're running into? Both of those things are connected in a way, I think. And we'll talk about that after the break. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in on WTMJ.
10: Uh I'm
2: jealous of all these people with 400,000 mile vehicles still on the road. I want that. I want that so bad. A vehicle that lasts forever. So I don't have to buy a used vehicle. Right now, it's a tough time for it. Uh, Before we move on, real quick, Sue's been holding on. Welcome to WTMJ. Hi, Sue.
0: Hi, Ryan. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. So what happened to you? So I was in a situation earlier this year where I needed to buy a new vehicle. Um, I have two used vehicle, Well, I have two vehicles, but um, I, I was in, in the market for a new one. And car supplies being what they are, there was like a six-month-to-a-year wait. So they talked me into buying a used vehicle. Um, I got a 2020 with 17,000 miles on it. And I thought, oh, uh, um, you're talking about shoes. I hit anytime I'm driving and I hit a pothole or um, hmm. a bump in the road the entire electrical system goes out so oh. I have no phone, no radio, no navigation I can be on the freeway, it happens everywhere, on a side street the, the freeway, and I've had it into uh. the dealer twice, it's still under warranty but they can't figure it out, and the last time I was uh. there they were like, well this might just be the way the vehicle is. It's a 2020. I have 23,000 miles on it now, and it's
2: yeah. No, it. Sue. Lucky for you, there's right. no potholes in Wisconsin, so you should be clear sailing from here yeah. on out.
0: Yeah, I mean it's 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 a um, something that probably won't happen very often, right? So it's a yeah, daily. Yeah, you don't have to worry about I it. Mean, no, 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 like no. Yeah, I'm potholes are a thing of the right past. And... Exactly. You exactly, know, exactly. That's so the thing. I
2: we could that. we could be in Jetsons era flying around and still hit potholes in wisconsin <laughs> Wait, you, i actually so own article. a 2005
0: ford uh, i i i own a 2005 ford with none of the bells and whistles and i really want to trade trade with my son and let him drive this one because at least the radio works in that one right
2: it's so funny the thing goes out every time you hit a pothole oh don't worry it just does that right. oh, no it shouldn't it's a new vehicle Oh, that kills me. All right. Thank you, Sue. I, I appreciate that story. That would just drive me nuts. Well, on the plus side, well, I'm guessing you're doing the speed limit now. Because <laughs> if you do hit one, you're please don't let the electrical go out. I wanted to bring up this one story, and we're going to have to talk about it more after the break, but I'm going to... There's one thing I noticed, and I saw that today, the Biden administration came out with guidelines to help people that may be applying for student loan forgiveness, ways to help them not get scammed, and I was reading through these guidelines, and some of them are, you know, What you would expect, any type of scam, there's going to be scam artists out there that are going to take advantage of people with their inability to understand the programs that are available to them. Sometimes it's them taking advantage of the elderly, but in this case, if you have a student loan, you're probably younger, you should be at least more able to spot scams. But it could happen to anyone, so I understand why the administration would want to put this out there. I was looking at their guidelines, and there was one part of the guideline I thought, you know what, I think you are running the scam. The U.S. government, when trying to push through this student loan forgiveness. Let me just put this out here real quick. When the process begins, if it begins, I'm hoping that these, by the way, personally, I'm hoping these lawsuits that are now being filed against the student loan program the government's proposing are successful in stopping it or at least halting it. But let's say it does open up and let's say the floodgates open up and borrowers, ones with student loans, begin to file for student loan forgiveness, $10,000 or whatever it is. In some cases, who knows if they even get repaid. I mean, could they even repay some student loans? But let's say, for example, that you want to go file it. Okay, you go to the website, and here's a quote from the Biden administration. Borrowers will be able to apply without having to upload any documents or inputting their FSA ID. So the federal student loans, the FSA, You don't have to give your ID. You don't have to show any documentation to prove that you are yourself. And you're allowed to apply for these loans on the website without identifying you? I mean, just kind of like the way that they talk about elections. Oh, you shouldn't have to show an ID. We should just trust that you are you. I don't know about that. That seems a little fishy. Now you're talking about billions of dollars that could be spent from the U.S. government. And you can just apply for these loans without... Proving you're you and you have these loans? Are you kidding me? That seems like the real scam in all of this. we got to go to break because we're running late. But I wanted to talk about not only that... But the project on government oversight and the issues we're running into with those PPP loans that were given out, and so many of them were red flagged, what ended up happening to the. Uh, what actually ended up happening to those PPP loans and the red flags, I think will really shock you, which we're going to get to after the break. And like, likelihood of it happening again for student loan forgiveness, I think, is almost a guarantee. So you've got to be so careful with this. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I think the loan forgiveness that we went through with all the COVID spending, the PPP loans that went out there, I think it was like 90 or 95 percent, I can't remember the exact total, were forgiven. The the, the PPP loan dollars, that's a big chunk of it. The whole idea was we're going to give this to you And when things start getting better, you can make it back, pay it back, 0%, whatever it is. But then they end up forgiving so much of this, and there was so much fraud that was on top of it. So how does this play into the student loan forgiveness? Well, who's to say it's not going to be very similar into the sense that this money is going to be handed out, flushed out. Some will be legitimate to take away from student debt. Maybe some are actually paid out because not that long ago, the Biden administration did pay out large sums to people that went to private colleges that were uh, not private, but uh, for-profit colleges, excuse me, I guess that's private, but for-profit colleges. So they said, oh, these for-profits, they were for-profits, so you paid more than you needed to, so we're just going to forgive your student loans. And my neighbor, for example, got a check from Uncle Sam, and he looked at it and said, what is this? I didn't ask for this. He ended up calling him because he thought it was a scam, Someone's trying to scam me. And they said, no, we forgave your student loans that you already paid off. Here's the money. Let me bring this back to a study from the Project on Government Oversight. They looked through the records. They found that the Small Business Administration flagged 2.3 million PPP loans worth about $189 billion dollars. Of that, they have since forgiven 95% of the PPP loans. And as far as they can tell, forgiveness-wise, even red-flagged accounts were forgiven. Substantial number of loans that were potentially flagged as fraud were still forgiven. And on top of that, so little oversight is going into this that people could have grabbed the money, ran, and... It makes it sound like unless you stole over a million dollars, they're not coming after you. It seems like, ah, we've figured this out. And all these different red flags are like, okay, this person works from home, but they're saying they have a staff of 20. You know, that's the type of stuff they red flag. Some of them were already on a list of red flags, and they still gave the money out and didn't ask questions. And here we are. They don't have the people and the resources to look this over. They're not going to be held accountable for stealing money from the government to the tune of billions and billions of dollars. And here we are about to do it again with student loan forgiveness. The idea is, oh, we're not going to ask for any info, just ask for it and whatever. So is the idea that if you fraudulently requested this money, then they're going to come after you and try to regain the money back. But if we look at the PPP loans, what are the odds of them actually coming back to recover any of this fraudulent money given out? Very slim. Essentially, it seems like the scam is the U.S. government that's allowing this to happen. That's a scam. You, the taxpayer, are getting scammed. And that needs more attention. And this needs to be stopped. I really hope that this program stops before it even gets off the ground. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for another hour for Jeff Wagner here on WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management
1: Studios at The Avenue. It's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now filling in for
2: Jeff Wagner. Here's your host, Ryan Recker. Reading some of these text messages that are coming in. One said, after all the taxpayer money the Brewers received over the years, I feel scammed by them. (laughs) They brought you some great memories. But, man, it's disappointing the way the season ended. No, I get that. They were looking good. I mean, they're on top of the division there for a while. Uh, let's see. Government goes after... Okay, so one person uh, doesn't like my take. They said, government goes after PPP fraud. Conservatives, wah, well, the government is targeting us business owner with IRS agents just because we are conservatives. I don't see the two being related, but I will say that if you have 180 some billion that dollars is flagged for fraud and you forgive those loans then instead of investigating them, eh, no, that's a bad look. And the IRS agents using the government, if the IRS agents were going after the PPP loan fraud, then that would be one thing, but you know who they're coming after, right? Uh, people listening here today. Here's another text message. Ryan, if you are in town and you go to cops, you might see some nutty protesters, and I don't mean nutty in a delicious pistachio sort of way. I Do they actually put pistachios on there? Or are you Do you have, like, pistachio treats there i used to get this pistachio bunt cake from a friend of the family and it was so good and i looked forward to that all the time i haven't had one in a long time uh, okay good to know i was listening a little bit to jeff wagner's program yesterday so i caught some of it uh, let me open up the phone lines for this is anyone out there actually hunting mushrooms I went online, and I was looking at some of the different discussions throughout Milwaukee, what people living in Milwaukee are talking about, and one person said, what's the best place to look for mushrooms? And I'm reading this, and I'm reading the comments to this forum, and it sounds like mushroom hunting is really popular in some of the areas across Wisconsin. 855-616-1620. I don't go around in wild areas picking mushrooms off the ground thinking, boy, did I get lucky today. Normally, I try to stay away from things growing on the ground because, one, I would probably pick up something that was there because of animal waste, and I would poison myself eating it. That's number one. Number two, I like mushrooms. I want it coming from a grocery store, uh, not from the ground in a forest. I just... Well, isn't there a thing where people will pick mushrooms up, and then there'll be magic mushrooms, there'll be some psychedelic properties to them, and they didn't know what they were getting themselves into? How do you, like, avoid that? The morale mushroom season, I understand, is a big time when a lot of people will go out hunting for these things because they're very expensive. Are there people actually buying these morale mushrooms, as in, most are mostly people picking them for their own sake? because they don't want to spend a ton of money getting them? Or is there an actual market of people that you can go out there, you can find mushrooms on the ground, and they'll just be people ready with money in their hand, shoved out in front of their face, saying, here we go, take my money, I want your morels. And why is it such a secret, too, to go mushroom hunting? Because most of the comments that I'm reading right now say that if you know a good spot, you're not telling anyone, because that's your spot. Like, don't, don't tell someone the secret, It's like you found yourself a magical leprechaun who leads you to the end of a rainbow and there at the end are gold coins. And someone says, hey, does anyone know of any magical gold coins I can get my hands on? You're not telling them about the little trip you took to the end of the rainbow. Why? Because that's your magic pot. And that's what morale mushrooms are like to so many different people. I also read that foraging is illegal in Milwaukee County Park. So if you're planning on going to a county park for this, uh Noah, too bad. How sad. You're not going to find yourself doing it there, at least legally. But in the end, are there actual wardens that are going around and checking to see if you're holding on to magic mushrooms you're foraging? Or do they have to catch you in the act? Or if that case, do you just like shove it in your mouth real quick and say, I don't know what you're talking about. Magic mushrooms, I don't know what you're talking about. So they say these are some of the best-kept secrets. People are going around getting their mushrooms while they can. I don't know if this is the right season for it. Are there any mushroom hunters in the audience that can tell me why you go around on your free time looking for fungus on the ground? 855-616-1620 is the number. One person said, oops, totally grabbed something by accident. Oh, that's you going through the park. That's like them trying to justify to the warden. I get that. One person said, uh, recently hiked around the Kettle Southern unit and saw plenty of the trails in the area and puffballs bigger than your head. Are morale mushrooms and puffballs the same thing, or are those two different things? I guess there's a society. There's a society of foragers that go around, and there's certain events where you can go out with other people to try to collect mushrooms. I, I just don't get it. I don't get the appeal. I don't get why people do it, honestly. and I'm, it, Maybe it's just like a cult thing. Like Some people get it, and some people don't. Here's the phone number, 855-616-1620. Someone just texted in a photo of a mushroom, and they're holding it in their hand, and it's huge. Honestly, I've heard of morel mushrooms. I didn't realize they were that big. This thing is like the size of a football and a half. Uh, this thing's huge. It's like the size of a bread box. Are they all that big? What in the world is going on? And how are they growing that large? And are you going to see shapes and colors if you eat that, like you're going through the tunnel of Willy Wonka? Uh, 855-616-1620, mushroom hunting season. One of the big secrets. You don't have to tell me where you go and hunt. Just tell me about your experiences and if uh, you like doing it and why, because I don't get it myself. We'll take a break. I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. When I think mushrooms, I think Mario. And when I think Mario, I think eating mushrooms. I guess it kind of goes back and forth. Looking at these text messages, there's some in baggies. They're carrying them around like they're an illegal drug. So someone just sent in a baggie of it, and there's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, five or six of them in there. And I expect that person to open up a trench coat in the park saying, hey, you looking for, uh, you looking for the good stuff? And then show me the bag of mushrooms. All right, so what's the appeal? I don't get it. Brenda, welcome to WTMJ. Hello. Oh, wait, maybe Brenda's not on the line. I'm sorry. John is on the line. Hello, John. Hey,
10: how's it going, Ryan? Okay, good. Uh First of all, the morel mushrooms are a spring mushroom, and I, I I don't know if it's legal, but there are people that buy them, and you get a pretty good uh, penny for for selling them, and then they sell them sell them to places out east and things like that because they're they're a choice mushroom. They look like a they look like a sponge brush on the end of a of a you know on the end of a little pole, and they grow in the woods in the spring. Now, the mm-hmm. one you were looking at the biggest as, as a football was a giant puffball. When you fry those up, they're, they taste like steak. There's other mushrooms that they're called shrimp of the woods, taste like shrimp when you cook them. <laughs> other ones called lobster <laughs> mushrooms. So there's there's a lot
2: of appeal for this, you know. So Hold on. Shrimp of the woods reminds me of chicken of the sea. It's kind of the same feel you know, for it. It's
10: one of the mushrooms, and it's a big deal, you know. So.
2: I am one that also likes mushrooms. I, I will add mushrooms on to things. I, the portobello mushrooms, I'll buy once in a while and put them on and, like, sauté them yep. or whatever. But this is what every yeah. mushroom lover says. Oh, it tastes like steak. Everyone says that. I don't know. I've never had a yeah, mushroom that do. tastes like steak.
10: <laughs> All that, you're, you're, not, you're not picking them in the woods. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so, oh, it is true for some people, yeah. How much do one of these go for? Let's say you find one of these big sponge ones. You said the puff balls? Like, what would um, a puff ball go I for? I don't know anybody buying the giant
10: puff balls. Uh, you know, th- th- this is about the right time of year for them of the last, let's say, last month or so. But uh, I do know the Morels. I've seen them go as high as, high
2: as $15 a pound that you can sell them for. So, but, oh, wow. Okay, 15 bucks a pound yeah. is pretty good. And that's wholesale, yeah, right? That's, yeah. Well,
10: and yeah, wow. I think most of every everybody else that picks picks some keeps them for themselves. And like you said, it is—it's a big secret when they find something. You know, they find oyster mushrooms or one of the other mushrooms growing someplace. Nobody tells where they went from. It's a big secret. You know. So, but
2: right. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for the call. I appreciate care, it. Right, here's the phone number eight five five six one six one six twenty. One person messaged in said, "Giant puffballs do not taste like steak." And then they texted back in, $300 a pound for a puffball? Is that right? What's the stuff that Aaron Rodgers went hunting for out of the country? Uh, I I think that's more of a root than it is a mushroom. But I'm sure there's mushrooms that have the same effect. Do you know you're in trouble? Like you're going around the forest and you find something on the ground and you think, oh, this is a delicacy. And then you pick it up and you eat it. And then what happens next after you eat this thing? You start seeing shapes and colors in your Mario, and you're, like, stepping on Goomba and stuff? Oh, Mike, uh, okay, not puffballs. Morels are the ones that go 300 a pound. Wow! Isn't that something? One person said, Morel mushrooms are so delicious when you simmer them in a little butter. They are heavenly, and the juice is like liquid gold. It's by far the best food in the planet. And then you started going out of this world you're listening to rocket man from elton john you're as high as a kite by then and you wake up and you don't have your pants on you don't know where you are but man were those mushrooms good one person said i have been picking mushrooms since i started walking with my parents uh, oh man there's all kinds of different styles of mushrooms man you really know your stuff there's got to be people that accidentally pick up magic stuff and don't know it that's got to happen to some people that's what i would be afraid of for me, portobello mushrooms, I don't get them often, but when I do, I really enjoy them, and it's been forever since I have did it. I didn't cook them in butter. You just cook them in some oil, uh, extra virgin olive oil or something like that, and that seemed to work out pretty well. Then you would season it like you would season a steak. You kind of put the seasoning sauce in there with it. That seemed to really do the trick, and I got to tell you, too, when I get a pizza, I like— the spongy canned mushrooms more than the fresh mushrooms is that a weird thing too like when you open up a can of mushrooms some of them are like real squishy you're like oh okay yeah these these are like canned mushrooms but that's the kind i like the most on a pizza but if i go to some places and they're like oh we have freshly cut mushrooms no i want the fake spongy stuff that seems to be even better let's go to craig who's holding on welcome to wtmj
5: Thanks, Ryan. Uh, Hey, I like to go up by the Wisconsin River. There's uh, a lot of deadfall that you can find oyster mushrooms on. Uh, Puffballs are great. I haven't heard of the shrimp of the woods, but hen of the woods and chicken of the woods, those Uh are all good ones, too. And you can find them in, in like, wet wet areas, marshy areas. Uh, You can get trumpet mushrooms in the drier forests.
2: Well, someone yeah, actually they're, sent they're me a so photograph the, of uh, chicken of the woods. Yeah. Are they orange?
5: Uh, they're sort of a yellowy orange color, and a lot of times they'll be, uh, you know, and you got to get them at the right time. You can't let them get too far, or they're they become woody. Mm-hmm. But man, they are good. There's also one called a lion's mane. And the lion mane—if you ever remember the old Star Trek movie where Captain Kirk gets his guy on board, and he's got these little, little things—they trivels or trivets or something like that.
2: Yeah, trebles. Yeah,
5: like. yeah. That's uh, what they look like.
2: And they're interesting. White, and
5: they're—they're they're fantastic. You slice them up. They're—they're they're sort of hairy. Look—look <laughs> look like a lion's mane, but they're white.
2: <laughs> Gotta get me one of those hairy mushrooms. Oh, that does not sound good. <laughs> all right thank you very you what, much for the there
5: call any canned mushroom you're gonna get
2: oh man but i'm addicted to those canned mushrooms i'll eat them raw just out of the can i just like them that much but you say these are better but hold on the canned mushrooms i will point out probably had less chance of an animal urinating on them like it, that's one of the things i'm really worried about wild animals doing their business in the forests who knows if they've done it on the food you're about to eat I'm going to take a hard pass on that. But some people want to. I guess you could cook them up or clean them, sanitize them, whatever way you do it. 855-616-1620 is the number. (laughs) That's a weird way to take it, I guess. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. She
6: packed my bags
2: last night, pre-flight. Zero hour, 9 a.m. Wisconsin Forest. And I'm gonna be high.
6: (laughs) As a kite by then.
2: Pack my bags for mushroom hunting in Wisconsin. Uh, You having your experience out in the forest with these things?
8: I miss the earth so much. I miss my wife.
2: You just need one of those rogue mushrooms out in the Wisconsin forest. You're feeling like William Shatner with a treble.
8: (laughs) And I think it's going to be a long, long time. The touchdown brings me back again to find I'm not the man they think I am back home. Oh no, no, no. I'm a
9: rocket
2: man. (laughs) Little known fact. This song was actually written about morale mushroom hunting in Wisconsin. And it was, you know, a bunch of guys go out to the woods and they find a mushroom, take it. And next thing you know, they're rocket men. Zero hours, 9 a.m., mushroom hunting in Wisconsin. Now you're a rocket man. And great tie-in with William Shatner from our producer Charlie there, by the way. The person called in with the Star Trek treble Comparison of what those puff balls look like. Uh, very nice connection there from our producer. I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Jeff Wagner, and I'll be back tomorrow too. If you want to find me online, you can find me at RyanRecker.com. There was a quick thing, and we only got a couple minutes before we check in with the news and get the very latest in the Brooks trial. But I saw other agencies reporting this. The Guardian was one of the first ones. If you remember, not that long ago, the Los Angeles Rams were playing, and I think they were against the 49ers, but they were on the field getting ready to play, and an activist, animal rights activist, jumps on the field, and he has some sort of smoke bomb going off. It's like this pink smoke bomb. And he's running around, and the security's trying to catch him. And eventually, linebacker Bobby Wagner for the Los Angeles Rams had enough of it. So when he ran by, the protester ran by the sidelines, Wagner took a few steps in, Level the guy onto the ground, and rightfully so. And most people looked at that and said, that's how you handle protesters. Get off the field. Stop being stupid. It's not all about you. You're not the main character here. No one cares about the cause you're running onto the field for. You're being disruptive. And quite frankly, the only reason why people are looking at you is because they can't wait to see you get leveled onto the ground. Well, Bobby Wagner was the one to do that. And a lot of people were, yeah, way to go. Way to go, Bobby Wagner. You know, veteran linebacker or whatever. Well, apparently that protester that was leveled filed a police complaint and said that he was assaulted. <gasps> that linebacker should never have laid his hands on me. Oh, I, had, I who am I? I don't feel safe when I run onto an NFL field. There needs to be some repercussion. They shouldn't have touched me. Well, that Monday stunt raised awareness to pretty much anyone out there that was thinking about jumping onto the field, and rightfully so. There should be a warning, as in, if you step foot on the field... The likelihood of you getting leveled is exponentially higher than you getting leveled off of the field. So the group, the animal rights group, far-leaning animal rights group, said the stunt was made to put awareness out for whatever and who cares. But the group called Wagner's tackle, quote, blatant assault, and now they want him arrested for it. Blatant assault. This is what they need to do. They need to write into the NFL rules that if a bystander jumps onto the field in is disrupting play, that you get a $50,000 bonus if you're the one that tackles them. So I want to see the entire staff looking at that as an opportunity to make some extra money. I want to see that person hunted down and just piled on top of. No reason that guy should have been running around to begin with. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner. You can reach the show the same way. Just give us a text. Give us a call. Whatever's on your mind. 855-616-1620 is the number. TMJ4 did a story about a neighborhood that continues to see problems with their safety. 21st and Keefe, Milwaukee neighborhood, stripped of a sense of safety after triple shooting near that area. A two-year-old boy, critical condition after a triple shooting neighbors in the area say a larger police presence is needed to save lives. You find this in some specific areas. There's a couple of places in particular I would want to use as an example, Minnesota being one of them. After the riots that happened in Minnesota, those on the far left came out and said that we need to actually have less police. They're the ones that are in, they're the ones that are actually the problem here. When there's police, there's problems, so let's get a police, we can do without. And then what ended up happening? The city council gets together, they vote to defund, next thing you know, the people living there are begging and pleading with the people, so much so they want to bring a lawsuit, and they did, forward to say that it's in the charter that you need X amount of police officers, which you are not providing, and crime spiked. I think people that are actual people, the ones that live in reality, understand that police in neighborhoods are a good thing police presence in areas have a sense of security that goes with it. And it also means that they're there to respond and they know the people that live there. Hopefully they know the people that live there, meaning that they know the streets. They know kind of, you know, people that may be notorious problems, not notorious problems, people that might in fact have a disability versus having an actual issue with other people. So there's a, without getting too far into the weeds, there's been instances where people might have a disability like being deaf, so they might not be able to hear commands from a police officer if something's happening. Only police officers that work certain areas would know that if they work the area. But there's been tragedies in cases where people that don't know what's going on, and then those people are targeted and, you know, tragedy hits. You know, it's kind of a mistake all the way around. But that's beside the point. That might be going too far into the weeds. Uh, I live in St. Louis, and in St. Louis, we've noticed that in North St. Louis, there's a lot of areas that just completely get looked over. There's a lack of funding for police. There was a cut of the budget. They don't want to call it a defunding of the police, but essentially what they said was, we are going to cut the overtime budget, meaning that you're already understaffed. And you were already working extra hours in order to pick up extra shifts. But since we cut the overtime, you're no longer allowed to work extra shifts. So the police officers that were already there were relying on that extra money because that's how they supplement a low wage to begin with. Now they weren't getting extra. Now there were less police officers on the street because you couldn't put in overtime and they couldn't hire new ones in. So what ends up happening, less police on the street. More violent crimes continue to happen, and that's why you continue to see certain areas of the country struggle chronically with violent crimes. And a lot of times, it's hand-in-hand with poor prosecution, lack of prosecution. Just in general, in the city of Milwaukee, you've seen an uptick in a lot of neighborhood crimes. And the people that are paying for it are the people that live in these areas. And the ones that live in these areas have been crying, please, we need more police, We need more help in these areas. We need more enforcement. We need someone that's going to answer the call when we have an emergency. And even that is getting difficult to see. Police are so stretched thin in a lot of different areas that they have to ignore low-level things. If someone breaks into your home, how many times have you heard police called and they'll say, well, we'll write up a report, but we're not going to send an officer unless you believe the person's still inside of there. What if you had something stolen? They're not going to send a police officer out because it just takes too much time and resources up that's a shame and that's a big issue Uh, and people that live in these areas where this continues to happen realize that the people that are committing these things don't get punished and they continue to happen and they don't see any enforcement of the law and because of that they see more crime and that's a shame let me play a part of this story from tmj4 the milwaukee neighborhood Um, the one thing they had in the neighborhood that they could all look at and say, at least we got this thing, was the local park. And all the kids in the neighborhood would play in this park. But now, after all the crime that they've seen, and now the shooting that they've seen, they don't feel so safe with it. Let's play that clip from WTMJ4.
7: But they tell me this park is the neighborhood's gem. Kids love coming here and having fun. That outlet was taken away.
4: As parents, I don't think we could do with protect our kids. We
7: spoke to a father who asked us not to show his face. He was outside with his two young children, one who just turned four a couple days ago. Are you okay with sending your kids to play at the park after what happened? Hell no. Nah. They ain't never going back down there. He says the shooting took the sense of safety away from the neighborhood and the only outlet children had. You know, All we do is just pray and keep my kids from down
2: there. Not just the park. It's not just open areas. It's homes. You know, when you see these shootings, and maybe they're targeted or not, you find that the unintended consequences are normally children inside of homes or inside of the park. You find that kids may be in cars. They might just be in an alleyway that's in between the houses or whatever, like a garage space. It could be anything. And sometimes there's teens that are out there, and then these things happen. They might not be the intended target that someone has a dispute with, but they're the ones that end up taking that bullet. It's terrible, and it happens all too often. And if you're a dad, and I am a dad, I have two young children. We go to the park. We play in the park. We enjoy the park. There's nothing that would make me stay at that park if the crime was bad, I wouldn't be able to just say, well, you know, we hear gunshots when we're over there, but uh, what are you going to do? We got to go out and play. That won't happen. I'm like that dad. Yeah, right. Like, I'm going to go back to that spot. It's sad and it's scary. And I hate to think that the people of that neighborhood that are trying to do good for their kids have to deal with this nonsense and the thought that it's not going to get any better and the thought that this is the type of garbage that they're going to have to live with or move. And it's just a bad situation all the way around. I, I never really used the park system when I didn't have kids. When I was an adult, you don't find me going and playing on the swings, right? That's a little creepy. But once you have kids, you realize what a valuable resource it is to have the public park system. That you can go out there and let them play and not have to worry about paying money for them to do something. They can just go out and enjoy the fresh air with their friends, get exercise. Just be a part of society in your community. when you start taking that stuff away and you start stripping away the little things in neighborhoods like public parks, then you've lost it all altogether. Are you going to have to bar up your windows? Are you going to have to sleep with one eye open? Is that what you want for these communities? I, I feel for them, and whoever that guy they interviewed as part of the TMJ4 story. I really feel for you, man. I hope they clean this up. I hope they figure this out, and I hope they put more resources on top of this. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A <laughs> couple of good text messages coming in. One person said, uh, can we arm the kids for self-defense? Please, please. I know you, you mean that as a joke, but I, I think, like, okay, in the future... What's going to happen here? Like, what's going to be the the natural progression when it comes to keeping kids safe? Is it that far-fetched to think that we're going to have to start going further along the lines of kids defending themselves? That is something that scares me to even think of the idea that we have to involve children in this discussion. Um, So please, let's hope that's not the case. And obviously, no, you don't want kids uh, armed. Here's another... Text message, where is the outrage from the mayor on the park shooting crickets? Another text message, don't let your kids eat the mushrooms in the park. And another person said, enjoying the show, keep up the good work. Oh, thank you very much. That's very nice. I'm continuing to watch Alex Crow as he gives updates in the Big Brooks trial, and he's still in his orange jumpsuit, from what I can tell. You can find that at WTMJ.com, more reporting on there soon. And, of course, at the news here in about 15 minutes. One thing I wanted to tell you, one of my fears in the future, is this long COVID. This scares me because so many people that contracted COVID, some of them are just perfectly fine. No big deal. Everything's great. Okay, we're good. And then on the other side, there's some that have had different issues last for a long time. And I'm looking at the latest research that came out, and it said nearly 24 million adults in the U.S. who currently have long covid More than 80% of them are having trouble carrying out daily activities. Of the 24 million, 80% have issues with it. That is just scary to me on so many different fronts because COVID is just so easy to contract, even when you are cautious. And if you go back to the start of the pandemic, there was so much and so much crazy advice that was out there. And then so many people telling you bad advice. So many people... Up playing it, so many people telling you, oh, you can't spread it if you're vaccinated. Oh, if you're wearing a mask, you're fine. Uh, it, and so much bad things to give you this false sense of security. Odds are, in the way that this thing spreads, even if you were to actually have every single precaution in the book outside of putting yourself in solitary confinement, self-contained in your own home, you're probably going to find exposures at some point why do some people have really bad side effects and why some people don't are still a mystery and this is what really scares me about it though those that haven't got it and as far as i know i have not contracted covid uh it scares me to think that what if i did and there's an underlying thing that's just waiting to activate in my body in the future what if there's damage Underneath the skin, because you know, I haven't had a need for a doctor to check me out for anything that I just don't know about. What if I hurt my lungs, heart, kidneys, whatever? And then these are certain things that don't crop up till you're older. I said that with all of the different medical issues that Americans could be facing in the long term, and not that I want this to be the scenario, but my prediction is that. Because of COVID, in the amount of time that it's really hit the U.S., and even after the vaccinations, people are still spreading it and people are still contracting it. And even though the symptoms are lessened through it, it's still leaving many with long-term symptoms and long-term problems. I think COVID is going to be the thing that pushes a lot of people over the hill for the idea of universal health care. It may sound like a wild idea, because so many people resist it. Myself, I, I don't like the idea of it. But I keep thinking, this virus and so much of it that was introduced into the United States and into the entire world that disrupted so much, there's no way that we're going to be able to keep up. And so many people contracted something that they didn't want and shouldn't have got to begin with through no fault of their own. That's just going to be what's happened. Uh, There's going to be so many people in trouble, they're going to say the only way we can possibly cover and handle this for everyone is just through universal health care. And I see that being the thing that turns the conversation when so many people are backed up against a wall and they get dropped from their insurance or whatever it is, and there's no other option to them. That's what scares me, is to think that so many people are going to have medical issues in the future because of this, and it's just a ticking time bomb inside of their body. I've talked to medical experts about that. In fact, I've talked to many medical experts, and I asked one in particular with authority on the matter. He's the person that oversees all of the uh, direction of the hospitals in the region here in St. Louis. And I asked him about that, and he said, you know, the likelihood of that is probably low because we would see more symptoms cropping up right now as we speak. But he did mention that not everyone sees a doctor. And there could be a lot of people not seeing a doctor or being advised by a doctor that could be harboring these things that don't know they're in harm. So that could be the long-term effect that we don't really necessarily know about. Like for me, i don't only go to the doctor if I need to. I only go if I have an issue or a problem. And even if I have a problem, it's normally waiting it out for a little bit to see if it goes away or if I can just take things easy or if there's some other remedy to it. Like, okay, I'm just going to drink tea instead of coffee for a week and see if it's just a hydration issue or, you know, you know what i Welcome back. I'm Ryan Recker and have only got a couple of minutes here. If you wanted to reach me after the show, I'm on social media. You can search Ryan Recker, W-R-E-C-K-E-R. I also have a website, RyanRecker.com, or I have a podcast with my wife. We review books. She's the avid reader. I'm the not avid reader. So it could make for some fun if you wanted to go listen to that and you're looking for a new book to read. I wanted to uh, pat myself on the back for a moment, and I need to know, where can I collect my Dad of the Year award? So yesterday I found out that my son, who's seven, soon to be eight years old, he's in second grade, he did a project at school, his Who's Your Superhero? Your real-life superhero. And he picked his dad. I want to know where I can get my award. Because he very easily should have picked his mom, by all metrics. I thought mom was leading the... Charts. She was leading in the polls. She was a clear winner. If she had to pick one person, it would be mom. But no, it was me. And there's a couple of different reasons why. Because I attempted to fix the furnace, and I attempted to fix the dishwasher. Uh, Now, keep in mind, I had to replace the dishwasher because I couldn't fix it. Furnace, I don't think I've ever touched the furnace. So he might be mistaking that with something else. He also pointed out that I helped him learn how to ride a bike. So that made me a superhero, and he said, my superpower is bad jokes. That's my superpower. I can tell bad jokes. So when he said that, I realized he actually likes my bad jokes, so I need to make more bad jokes. So where do I pick up my Dad of the Year award? Uh, one of the th- <laughs> one of the things I need to know about, too, uh, I just wanted to say that because I'm proud and I love the kid. One of the things that I know that in the future, him going through public schools is that you have to pay close attention to the things that they're doing there. It's good to be involved in your kid's life. My parents were involved in my life, but for the most part, I feel like the only interaction they had with teachers was student-teacher conferences. It's not like the teachers talk to each other and the parents. But now with email, it feels like they're getting an update once or twice a week. The way that these digital systems work with iPads and digital learning is that you can see the progress of your kid. You can see the artwork that they're doing because they post those things and it's amazing just privately for the parents. I love it. It's so cool to see that. And just like that project where I learned who his real life superhero was. So these things are a little bit easier to track the things that you're doing, but you got to keep in communication with your kid. I saw that just recently there was a new survey that tried to identify political leanings of young people, between 18 and 29, and they found out that more young women are trending liberal, and more young men are trending conservative, or aka not liberal in that sense. And it made me think back to my time in college, because you're thinking, okay, in that age frame, if you're saying that you're, you know, in your early 20s, you're probably getting out of college, and I was under the impression that a lot of colleges were indoctrinating these young men and women. And it may be true. There may be a lot of that going on, but maybe we're finding that more and more of them are rejecting this certain push of ideology and they're starting to move in the opposite direction. At least the young men are. I don't know what's going on with the young women in that sense, but that really surprised me. And they're saying that for the most part, You know, women may be up a little bit, but men are down more than usual, which is something they're scratching their head. And they're saying we can't quite figure out why this is happening for the women. They pinpointed two different things. One, Roe v. Wade, as of recent, the the abortion debate. And number two, Donald Trump pushed them further left. Those are one of the top two reasons of why they identified that way. I found that fascinating. At least I know as my kid, he's young, still impressionable. you got to keep the guard up. you got to keep the eyes out there. And you got to make sure you stay part of their lives to make sure the things that they're learning to offset some of those things.